Uh, we're starting this uh, new series called Fight the Good Fight, and uh, we find ourselves in a world where we're fighting uh, at times uh, against one another, and, and really we're, we're finding this d- divisiveness that's taking place in our culture today where we're arguing and fighting over things that uh, most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time have uh, little to no eternal significance. And so we thought, what would it look like if we talked about uh, fighting for things that really, really matter eternally, that, that matter to the heart of God? And, and so we're going to, over the next few weeks, be looking at some different topics that really matter to the Lord, that have eternal significance for our lives and for our children's lives and, uh, and for our culture uh, that we live in, for our friends, our family. And, and so the theme first, I used uh, the New International Version and the Passion Translation last week. I'm just going to, for the next few weeks, be using the Passion Translation. It comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 12. And this is Paul talking to Timothy, and there's all kinds of chaos going on in their world at the time. It kind of sounds familiar. And he says, Timothy, you are God's man. And I would just say this morning uh, to each and every one of you, for those of you watching online with us, you are God's people. If you follow Christ, if you say that I am a Christ follower, I've surrendered my life over to him, uh, you are God's people. He has a plan for you. And he says, so run from all of the chaos, the errors going on, and instead chase after true holiness, after justice and faithfulness and love, hope, and tender humility. Fight with faith for the winner's prize, and then lay your hands upon eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession before the multitude of witnesses. What does it mean to live out this calling that God's got on our life? I mean, you are called, we talked about this last week, that you are God's chosen people. If you are a Christ follower, then, then you are called. You are called to be on mission, not just to show up and be a part of a service on Sunday mornings, but to actually walk out those doors into your circle of influence, your life that you live the rest of the week, and you are to be on mission in that world. What does that look like for us? Because every morning we wake up and we're faced with a decision. Every morning we wake up and we decide, are we just going to kind of go through the motions? Are we going to go to our nine to five? Are we going to do our work and make money and then get the kids to school and then go to sports and then do this? Are we going to do all of those things and then never even for a moment think about the fact that I am actually on mission in this world to bring the message of the grace-saving uh, the, the grace-saving message of Jesus to the people that I come into contact with. I'm not asking you all to be, uh, you know, hyper-evangelists, but I, but I am saying, have we thought, have we thought about, does the thought cross our mind that today is an opportunity for me to have a divine moment with someone? What does that mean? What does it look like in our life? Today I want to talk about fighting for community. To fight for relationships and and community that goes beyond just knowing the name of someone and what they do for a living. Uh, to, to go, that goes beyond just recognizing someone as a person or having uh, Facebook friends like, or, or Instagram friends. Like they, I'm talking about fighting for true community that God talks about when he says don't forsake the gathering. 
I'm not talking about, you know, getting necessarily into a life group or a class or Sunday morning, making sure everybody's here on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about going beyond something of the interaction that is surface level that's deeper than that. If there's one thing that uh, 2020 showed us is that um, the ability to be in close relationship and community with people is so important. Uh, if you Google problems from 2020, right, if you just, on your little keyboard and your phone, you Google problems with 2020, the first page of that will be depression, anxiety, uh, psychological issues, mental health issues. It's all of the things that are a result of this pandemic that we've all had to deal with and are tired of and enduring and all of that. It's interesting, it, the first page doesn't really say that the problem is the virus. It talks about the problem that's a result of the isolation and the, uh, the disconnection and the social distancing and all of the things that have affected the mind. I found that very interesting because I think it's directly tied to isolation. See, the need for community isn't anything new. It's... It's the way we're wired. It's, it's how we're created. And, and granted, there are people who would say, well, I'm an introvert. I, I, you know, I don't need people in my life. I, I like to be alone. And, and I understand where you're coming from from a personality standpoint. And there's people, people, and then there's introverts and, and all of that. But in, at the core of who we are in our soul, we are wired to be in relationship with other people. 2 Timothy 1.16 says, May the Lord bless uh, Onesiphorus and all of his family because he visited me and encouraged me often. His visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. You know, it's interesting in this context that there's Paul in prison and he's saying, listen, the, I'm, I'm being visited here and, and in that visitation it brings a breath of fresh air. Now, some of you could think of people in your life, when they visit you, they suck the air out of the room or they suck the life out of you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being in relationship with people who bring life into your world. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up meeting together. This is one of the, one of the classic verses that pastors uh, use out of context. And I've probably done it, so I'm not bashing on other pastors. I've probably done the same thing. Uh, because we're always grasping in our day. We're grasping for reasons for people to come and sit and listen to us. And so we'll use a scripture like this. We'll say, well, hey, we can't forget meeting together. we got to get together. You know, so come to church on Sunday morning at 9.15 and 11. Like, like, we can't forsake the gathering of people. And it's really not what it's talking about here, or at least not all that it's talking about. Th think of the context of, of when this was written. This was written at a time when this isn't happening. N none of this is taking place. What was happening is they were gathering together as believers in homes. They were, they were in relationship with one another and had a family time with one another. And what is being said here is not give up the Sunday morning service experience. No, let us not forsake getting together in relationship, sitting across the table from one another and enjoying that relationship. He said, because some of you are in the habit of not doing that anymore, 
He says, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Anybody feel like the day is approaching? You know, like, like things are getting worse. And so as things get worse, even more so the reason for us to have those kinds of relationships to help us get through this life. Because we're promised that life in and of itself is going to get tougher. And I realize that, I mean, think of just... Pause for a second. Is your life easier or harder than it was three years ago? I think it's probably harder. I think you've been faced with a lot more decisions. I'm not talking like financial hardships necessarily, although in some cases, maybe. And can I just stop for a second and say, just as, uh, as a pastor this morning, that uh, I recognize that with some, some political things that have been said this last week, that uh, some of you are being faced, you're, you're being faced with a decision to make, uh, a, a health decision, a, a vocation decision, a job decision. And, and I just, I, 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 can't, I can't tell you what to do. I don't want to tell you what to do, but I just want you to know that, that we see you, that we know it doesn't affect me personally. It, it, I'm not going to have to make, I don't have to make a decision that some of you have to make in my context, but, but I don't want you to think that it's lost on us, that we've been praying for you. We prayed for you yesterday morning as we gathered here uh, for prayer, that, that we know that for many people, they're, they're having to make impossible decisions, and, uh, and I just, I, we care about that. We do, and we care about you. See, in, in clear terms, Christians have this obligation to connect with other Christians. When, when Hebrews tells us, let us not give up gathering together, it's really the, the word there, the Greek term, and I totally butchered this first service. I'm going to butcher it again. It's enkatelepontes. Uh, Probably not right. But it's referring to the abandonment or the forsaking, meaning that we have abandoned or forsaken the gathering together and the relationships, and we're being instructed not to, as the English Standard Version says, neglect. It implies this failure to do something that we ought to be doing. There's a lot of reasons why we're not doing it, and we're going to address some of those things, but... But the reminder for all of us, myself included, is that Christians have this obligation to connect with other believers in some context or another. It's not necessarily always for discipleship, right? Sometimes it's just to come along someone like Pastor Lucy who's moving and needs some, her, her faith community to walk with her through that. It's, it's not always in the context of a life group even or in a class. Yes, those are things that we offer, but, and, and they're really good things, but it's not always that. Sometimes it's just sitting and having dinner with someone who's going in the same direction you are, dealing with the same things you're dealing with, and being a friend. But why is this so difficult? Why, why is this so hard? Why, why do we walk alone? Well, I, I have some thoughts on that. Surprise, surprise. I have lots of thoughts. Ecclesiastes 4.8 reminds us of a man who, uh, he was all alone. He didn't have a son or a brother. There was no end to his toil. In other words, he just was a workaholic. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. 
He was a workaholic. He was focused on gaining wealth, and yet there was something of a void that took place. Here, here are some of the reasons why I think uh, we walk alone. The first is just honest, and this is an honest reason, is naivety. We just don't realize the importance that, that walking with other believers has in our life. We don't, we don't realize that we need it. We never take the time or we never have taken the time to build those kinds of meaningful relationships. And, and so we just kind of do things on our own. The second reason is our temperament. It's our personality. I kind of talked about this earlier. It's a, I'm an introvert. I don't really like people. You know, I'm not saying I don't. I like people. But, but that's some of our reasoning is it's not my personality. I'm, I'm just wired this way. I, I don't really, I'm not outgoing. I, I, I feel awkward trying to find a group of people to hang out with. Fear is one as well. We've created things in our mind that we think are going to happen. Uh, that, that somehow people are going to reject us or they're, they're not going to like us or something along those lines. And can I just say that that is... That is the enemy of your soul, trying to keep you from doing something that, that you ought to be doing. Past experiences is a big part of this where specifically I'm talking about broken relationships of the past where people have hurt you. You know, you thought you could trust them and they betrayed you or they talked poorly about you. And, and these people that you had kind of been vulnerable with and opened up to have completely hurt you. And, and listen, before you're ever going to be able to do that, to do that again and to open up to someone, there's probably healing that needs to take place. And you've probably built up a wall to some extent of keeping people from getting close in your life. Busyness is maybe the most prevalent in our culture today. It's that we have let the world set our agenda for us. We have said yes to everything that, that it has asked us to do. Whether it's the school or the job or the neighborhood or the meeting or even the church. We've gotten to a place where we've said yes to everything. And we've not left room for the important things. One of the privileges that Kelly and I had of being on sabbatical over the summer was, and not everybody has this, and I, and I recognize that, that this is just such a huge privilege, that, that when we took a step back from the, the treadmill of ministry, we were able to reevaluate our calendar and our schedule, and uh, almost like, uh, you know, OCD reevaluate it. And if you were to look at my calendar now, like from 7 a.m. in the morning to about uh, in some days, 7.30 p.m. Uh, in the evening, every hour is calendared out, not, not with necessarily work, but with things that are important in my life. And, and we found that as a, a ministry family, because our son's in ministry and uh, our tech, as our tech director and our kids are on worship team and all kinds of stuff, that we, have, we neglected having dinner together even. And so, like, on our calendar, it literally says, Wednesday nights, dinner with family, because it's important. Can I just encourage you to reevaluate your calendar? And maybe, maybe you don't need to be that ridiculous with it like I do. I have to be that ridiculous with it. Uh, but, but maybe it's just reprioritizing and evaluating what is it that's important, really important in our family, in our home. God never intended for us to walk alone. I know I'm aging myself here a little bit, but there was an old TV show uh, when I was growing up called uh, Cheers. 
And uh, the premise of the show was that uh, these people would come together to a bar, to a pub, and and, and they were uh, kind of going through life together. And it ended up being more than just surface level. There were lots of things that they were dealing with. But, but I, for the younger people in the room, you, you're probably like, that sounds like a stupid show. Um, for the older people, uh, it, it was a very good show. And we, were, we thought it was. And there was a theme song for it. And if I ask you what the theme song is, somebody would say, where everybody knows your name. Yeah. That's actually not the best song in it. The best song in it is Woody Harrelson's song, the character played by Woody Harrelson, Kelly, 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 Kelly. That's, that's actually the best song. But I always told people that I, if, I, if God hadn't got a hold of my life and I didn't become a pastor, I was either going to be one of two things. I was going to be a lawyer or I was going to be a bartender. And... Uh, and the reason why is because it's basically like being a pastor. You help people with their problems and you walk them through their problems. It's just a different solution that, that you're administering. But <laughs> you, you think I'm joking. Uh, there's been times while I'm in the ministry that I thought, I'm going to go be a bartender. <laughs> I want to make an argument this morning, not that everybody knows your name. I just... I want to encourage you that somebody knows your name. That we have at least just one person in our life who can speak into our life, that we have that kind of relationship with that, uh, that is in the deeper levels of relationship that go beyond just uh, the cursory, what do you do for a living? And this is what my kid's sports program is, and this is my favorite sport and my favorite team and all of those things, but that it actually goes to a deeper heart level. Because I'm convinced that everybody needs that, even if they don't know that they want it. I want to tell you a story about a guy, uh, kind of this divine moment that Kelly and I had over the summer with a guy named Paolo. Paolo's my new friend, and um, maybe one of these days he'll, he'll watch us online, but uh, I have to give you kind of the context of, of our first introduction to Paolo and, uh, and then kind of explain uh, this divine moment that we had with him. But I run the risk here this morning, and I fully am aware of, of running the risk of being kind of that friend or family member, that annoying one that invites you over to their house for dinner and then proceeds to show you the slideshow of like a million slides of their vacation that you can't ever take. Um, but so I, I kind of, I'm in that gray area right now, so I'm just going to ask that you bear with me because I have some pictures. I have a slideshow this morning. And uh, in 2018, Kelly and I got to go to Italy uh, for the very first time. And it was a part of a larger trip with, uh, for my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And so we just had a very short time in Italy. And we kind of, you know, drove our way from the south all the way to the north. And we had one day in Tuscany, in the Tuscan region of, of Italy. And they're known for wine there. And, uh, and so we thought we would like to go to a wine tasting or a, or a wine pairing. And I recognized, I said this first service, and I, I don't make light of this at all, that for some people... Uh, alcohol is an issue. It's, it's a stumbling block. And, I, and if that offends you that, that my wife and I have that in moderation, I apologize. I in no way am glorifying that. Um, but, but we were there and we wanted to do that and we did it. And I'm not hiding that from you. So 
I get on TripAdvisor, which is like my least favorite app in the world, uh, and, uh, and I find this place, and we don't have a reservation or anything, and so we, we show up, uh, or, or we, we decide we're going to go to this place, and uh, we arrive to this kind of unexpected place. We arrive at a butcher shop. We think we're going for a wine tasting, and we, uh, I mean, communion, we'll, we'll just call it communion from here on out. Uh, we think we're going to that, but we're really, we end up at a butcher shop, and, and the butcher shop has beads in the door. Uh, it, I think we have a picture of it. And it's got this, this vending machine of cigarettes next to it. And it, it, those of you who know me uh, pretty well would know that if I pulled up to something like this, uh, I'm not staying here. Like this, this, that looks like something a serial killer uh, would be in, and I'm not going in there. And I know that seems unfair and a little bit judgy, and it is. Um, but it turned out, so we pop our head in there, and Paolo's in there uh, doing butcher things. And, and we said, hey, is this where the, the, the wine tasting is? And, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's here. And we're like, we don't have a reservation. He's like, give me 15 minutes, and we'll get you in. And my English is much better than his. But he, he said, give me 15 minutes, and, and we'll do it for you. So we do. We walk around, and... And so we, get, we come in, and, uh, and my wife had just discovered on the iPhone the portrait mode. And, uh, and so she's taking pictures just at, I mean, it's nauseating, like all through Italy, just all these pictures. And so in the course of this uh, time together with Paolo, uh, she's taking pictures, and, and, and she takes a couple of really good pictures, in fact. And, and so... Uh, Fast forward uh, to just this last August, uh, we know that 2020 has been difficult for everyone, but certainly it's impacted Italy a lot. And, and so we thought, how great would it be to go back and just see if Paolo's there? So I made a reservation this time. And, uh, and one of the, or two of the pictures that Kelly had taken uh, turned out fantastic. And so we had him framed up, and we thought, you know, he probably needs a little bit of a shot in the arm, just some encouragement. And so uh, this sounds more noble than it really is. We were just there for the communion, but we, we really wanted to take this picture to him. And, and so we did. We take it. We walk through the doors, and, uh, and, and we brought this framed picture from the last time we were there. And that's the picture there. It's a pretty good picture. And we say, hey, Paolo, you know, this, I know that 2020 has been difficult. He relies on uh, on tourism and, and all of that. And uh, we just want to encourage you and say, keep going. You, you just do a fantastic job here. And, uh, and he just immediately got emotional. And, uh, and so he's like, I got to show my family. And the butcher shop's, you know, kind of in the front where you saw that door. You don't have to show it again, but where the beaded door is. But then kind of in the same building behind it is an apartment where him and his wife and daughter live. Uh, and he's taking care of his dad who broke his femur in 2020, as if everything else wasn't bad. And so he's taking care of his dad as well. And he, so he goes in, shows them, and they're just all emotional about it. And, uh, and then he takes us down into the basement, which, you know, again, when, he first, when we first met him, and he said, the wine tasting is in the basement of the butcher shop. Uh, all these m movies started going through my head. But... 
but he takes us down there and um, this time he was, he was talking to us uh, and, and now we're kind of, you know, there's a little bit of a relationship there and he's talking to us as he's making food for us this about salt and how in the Tuscan region, and maybe most of you know this already, but I'm, I'm ignorant to this, is that salt was so, used to be so valuable, uh, so much so that in, in their time, salt was worth more than gold. And, or in the time. And, and so Florence, the city of Florence, stopped putting salt in their bread because it was so valuable. And if you go to Florence today, they still don't put salt in their bread, even though it's so widely available. And he was telling us about all the different spices and all of the different things that were just so valuable. And he, said, he told us a story of a dignitary that went to visit the Pope and, and how uh, this person brought the Pope just a handful of what like, we would consider uh, table pepper, like pepper as a spice. And it was just a handful of pepper. And, and it was so valuable and so important. And, and then all of a sudden, it kind of gets deep in the conversation. And he says uh, to us, he says, I wonder if, if there's anything that is so common today that has that kind of value and significance. And we just sat there and kind of thought about it. And of course, I'm thinking monetary value. He just told me that salt is worth more than gold. And I'm thinking, what is it today that's got that kind of value? And I'm like, crypto, Bitcoin. Like, I'm thinking like all of these things. He's like, no, something like tangible that, that's available to everybody, but people take for granted. And it was as if the Holy Spirit, just kind of right there in the cellar of the butcher shop, spoke to my soul. And I know that sounds like an over-exaggeration, but I talk all of the time, and, and, and you guys have heard me say, uh, to look for those divine moments. And I believe that this 100% was a divine moment, and it was like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and I just kind of blurted out its community, its relationship. It's what's taking place here. It's available to everyone. And oftentimes, it's something that we take for granted. It's, it's not something that we are willing to fight for, and yet it has such great value and benefit to our life. I said community is the greatest commodity that we have. It's more available or more valuable than any riches that this life can give. And I think that we kind of used to understand that in, in America but somewhere along the lines, we have kind of traded this valuable commodity for a cheap substitute. It was then that uh, Paolo went over, grabs his own glass for communion, pours himself a glass, and we essentially had communion together. And he says, you're no longer a guest in my home, you're family. And I thought, what a... Interesting concept, that is. He doesn't know us. He, doesn't, he hasn't gotten to know us. But just in this context of something deeper than just what I do for a living, he didn't even know I was a pastor. I didn't tell him that. But something deeper of, in the soul that now all of a sudden there's a relationship there. He thanked us for coming. He said that he was a better man because of our visit. And Kelly and I walked away truthfully leaving that place, recognizing that this divine moment caused us to be better people than we walked in. For the entire 12 weeks of our sabbatical, there, 
you know, there was a lot of rest and relaxation, a lot of recognizing of our time and all of that. But, but we can look back on at least two, maybe three specific instances where someone like Paolo, like Steve and his wife, were all of a sudden just this divine moment that reminded us why we are called Lifehouse. It reminded us that it is our job to create a training center here, not for the sake of just gathering on a Sunday morning and having a service, but this is the training opportunity when we use the analogy of the boxing match. There's a lot of training that goes into that match. It's not a match, by the way. It's a bout. Thanks for the correction from last week. Uh, the, the train, the, there's a lot of training that goes into this. And that's what this is, is we want to train and equip you to go into whatever circle of influence you have and to be seizing every divine moment that you have to connect people to real love and real life. Because you can make a difference in someone's life. You can make a difference in Paolo's life. We, we often will be on vacation. We're like, we're on vacation. I'm not telling anybody I'm a pastor. And I realized just what a horrible attitude that is. When in reality, we should be on mission no matter whether we're at work, on vacation, at our kids' soccer game. We have an opportunity to seize every divine moment and to make a difference in someone's life. People are looking for hope. Paolo told us that 2020 was really, really tough on his family. Really tough. And we just said, keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing because you're bringing joy into people's life. Now, every time we go to Italy, we got to go have communion. <laughs> Community is the greatest commodity that we have. And it's really important for us to not confuse what takes place here on Sundays as true community. Unless it goes to something deeper than just What's your name? What do you do for a living? Oh, I recognize that. Oh, I sit here. It goes deeper than just serving along someone on a Sunday morning. It goes deeper into the relational side of things that takes place beyond it. It goes deeper than a life group uh, or a study group. It, it goes into that relational connection where you can be honest with someone else. I think it's unrealistic to go deep with everyone but you should have at least one or two people in your life that you can go deep with. As I stand here, I recognize that there are many of you, some of you are new since we've been on sabbatical. I don't, I don't even know your name. Certainly don't know what you do for a living. Uh, we have lots of people who watch online who never put comment in the section. And by the way, if you're watching online, just say hi to Lucy in the section, in, in the comments. Uh, we just don't know. I don't know. I don't know everybody. And certainly you don't know me. You may think you know me, but you know the version of me that I, I allow you to know on a Sunday morning. But there are things about me that you don't know. I'm not going to reveal those things this morning, but, but that, I mean, right, because it's impossible. It's impossible to have that kind of relationship with everybody. But there should be somebody in your life that you have that kind of relationship with. It goes deeper than what I allow you to know on a Sunday morning. 
or what you allow me to know. Now, some of you have been in my office and we've been able to counsel and go deeper into some things, but even that is just more about your situation, not necessarily me. And, and so there's just this reality that Sunday morning cannot be the substitute for true relational community. It's got to go deeper than that. There's some identifiers of what community looks like and the kind of community that we're really fighting for. And I'll just blow through these real quick so we can all get to lunch. But the first is that there's, there's an arena type of community. And, and what I mean by that is uh, I know and you know. So there's a level of community that we, this is our public me, that this is what you know about me, and this is what I've allowed you to know about me, and then this is what I know about you and what you've allowed me to know about you. And if that's us, if, that's the, the, if we stay at that level, it's going to be problematic come a pandemic. Because at that point, there's no relational connection, it's just information. So if that's us, we have to be people who, uh, we, have to, we need people who really know me, friends that I can share my life with who actually know what's going on with my teenage children, right? Because you know that, you think that raising elementary kids uh, is difficult, but then they get to the teenage years, and that's a whole nother thing, and then they, they graduate from high school and have a job, and they still live at home, and they want to leave, but they can't leave, and that creates a whole nother level of problems. You need people in your life who can walk with you, who know those problems and can pray with you. We need it. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Nobody knows what's going on in your life except for you. And we have to be willing to share that with someone. The second identifier of community is even if you have friends in your life the question is is do you have a mask on like I know some things about my life but you don't know right I've got some some things in my life that you don't know about me and and I think all of us to some extent probably have some of that in our life or at least have had that as a part of our life and it's not that you necessarily need to go to a life group or to uh, EHR or something along those lines that the church provides, but you do need someone in your life who knows what's behind the mask. Because if, if you don't, you're not safe. You're not safe walking alone because oftentimes behind the mask is a hurt, it's a habit, it's a hang-up, it's something that is going on in your life that is causing unhealth. So you need someone that you trust that you can talk to who will, uh, I, I put down, I need people who will protect me, who will walk with me and protect me as I get healing in my life. 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, We refuse to wear masks and play games. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The third area is we, we, you know, we may have things kind of behind a mask where I know, but you don't. Well, there's a third thing. It's called the blind spot where I don't know, but you know. We have people in our life who, 
who see things in our lives that we can't even see. This is the, the spinach theory, right? Anytime you eat spinach or salad or something, inevitably it's stuck in your teeth and you're talking to someone. You know you have a good friend when they say, you got, you got something in your teeth. You got some spinach in your teeth. Because they're honest with you. They don't want to embarrass you. And you, they certainly don't want you to be embarrassed. So they tell you about it. You need that level of friendship in your life that when you've you got a pride issue or an arrogance issue that's going on in your life and you don't see it, that someone who loves you enough to be able to say, hey, you got a little, you got a little thing in your teeth. How many of you have ever been uh, maybe at dinner with some, some new friends or something and, and uh, there's this kind of moment where it's clear that the friends that you're with uh, are having issues in the sense that they're, they're arguing, maybe they showed up in a fight or whatever, but, but one of the spouse just says something cutting to the other spouse and, uh, and it can go both ways, honestly. And I don't know if you've ever been in that. I've been in that position. Uh, maybe it's because I'm a pastor. I don't know. I didn't know I was doing counseling at the time. But uh, it, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. But real friendship, real community is one that would be able to say to that spouse, why did you say that? that that's, that's not... That's not healthy. Like, are you guys fighting? Like, what's, what's going on in your life? And, and you can say, well, I'm never going to pry into somebody's life. I'm never going to call somebody out for how they talk to their spouse. And my question is, why? Why wouldn't we? You can say, well, it's none of my business. Well, if there's relationship and connection and friendship there, Certainly, they felt comfortable enough to fight in front of you. There, there's at least some level of relationship that, that gives you the opportunity that says, you, you got something in your teeth. The passage of Scripture that goes with that is uh, Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See, to, to not say anything and to just be like, ah, oh, you know, that's their problem or whatever, that's, that, that's the kisses of an enemy. That's not a friend. A friend is willing to say, man, you know, we've been there, we know, but how you treat each other and talk to one another, and, and I'm just using a small little instance here, but there's a lot of those kinds of things where we feel like it's not our place. And I'm not talking about judging people. Or treating people shamefully. I'm just saying, do we have the kind of relationships where people can call us out on our blind spots? The fourth and final one is potential. This is, I don't know, and you don't know. Like, okay, who, who knows? Uh, God. God knows. God knows because God devised a plan for you and me to be in relationship with other people who are going the same direction that we're going, that are Christ followers, to encourage one another, to walk with one another through their challenges. Uh, Kelly and I just took a, a meal to, uh, to a gal who's just lost her husband to a heart attack. And I have kids and younger than me. And in, 
you need people in your life who are going to come alongside. And I know it's just a meal, but it's a meal to pray. It's not, it doesn't always have to be a Bible study. It doesn't always have to be a, a, a book study or a, or, or a church service or any of those things. Sometimes it's just doing life together with someone that is so real and so tangible that you love them and embrace them through stuff that's going on in their life. I need people who I can grow with. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I know lots of people. I have a lot of companions. I have a lot of friends, people who think that, that we're close friends. Well, no, they don't think that we're close friends. I have a lot of acquaintances. That's a better way to say that, right? My wife's like, oh, my gosh, what are you saying? Uh, I, I, I have acquaintances. I know people. I got lots of Facebook followers. But that all doesn't matter. Because a friend, a real friend, Real community, something that I'm really willing to fight for, sticks closer than a brother. Chuck Swindoll uh, wrote a piece, and I'll close our time with this this morning. He said, nobody is a whole team. Each one is a player. But take away one player and the game is forfeited. We need each other. You need someone, and someone needs you. And don't forget that. Because I have lots of conversations with people who just say, nobody... I, I can't find any friends. Nobody wants to be my friend. Nobody, you know, and I'm like, are you a friend? Be a friend. Somebody needs you in their life. Don't wait for somebody to come and invite you into that relationship. Be the inviter into that relationship. Seize those divine moments and opportunities that God brings your way to be someone of a friend to somebody else. Isolated islands, he goes on and says, we're not. To make the thing called life work, we got to lean in and support, relate and respond, give and take, confess and forgive, reach out and embrace, release and rely. And since none of us is a whole, independent, self-sufficient, super capable, all-powerful hotshot, let's quit acting like we are. Because life's lonely enough without our playing that silly role. The game's over. Let's link up. Friends, uh, I don't know how to say it any more blunt than that. And if that offends you, you can be offended. Chuck, not me. But this is a mandate from the Lord to not forsake and neglect the gathering together of people who are going the same direction we are. And that is not to get you here on a Sunday morning. It's not to get you into our life groups or our, our EHS groups or any of the classes that we have. It is to get you into some sort of real relationship. It is why we are called Lifehouse. We are about connecting people to real love and to real life in order to make a difference. We have that calling on our life. Let's pray.